Ready to connect with the investment community here in Cleveland? Want to learn about the people, events, projects, and firms that are making a difference? Want all that but feel like you don't have the time? This is the show for you. Welcome to Guardians of Finance. Brought to you by the CFA Society of Cleveland and hosted by Matt McLaughlin, Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, Guardians of Finance will provide you with a chance to foster deeper connections and know what is getting the attention of Cleveland's investment community. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the CFA Society of Cleveland and attend an educational or social event and find volunteer opportunities. And now, here's your host, Matt McLaughlin. Welcome to the Guardians of Finance podcast. I am your host, Matt McLaughlin. In this episode, this is the first in a series where we talk with the leadership of CFA Society of Cleveland. We start by talking to CFA Cleveland's full-time executive director, Cindy Nace, as well as CFA Cleveland's current president, John Dominey. In his professional life outside of CFA Cleveland, John is a vice president with Alliance Bernstein. We talk with Cindy and John about their backgrounds and current responsibilities for CFA Cleveland. Also, we get their thoughts on what is going on at the CFA Institute and what challenges our society faces over the next 12 to 18 months. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode with Cindy Nace and John Dominey. John, Cindy, thanks for joining the podcast. Hi, Matt. Great to be here. Well, just to start it off, you know, maybe I'll throw this one out to Cindy because Cindy is someone that if you've been to an event, I'm sure you've interacted with and very memorable, outgoing person. But I know I thought this when I first started going to society events, Cindy, what the heck does an executive director do? Because you're you're at everything, you're involved in everything. I think maybe just start it off there with the podcast. What is your role and kind of what does all that entail from, from a high level perspective? Great. Thanks for having me on. You know, we're really excited about the podcast and the success of it and love reaching out to the community in Northeast Ohio. So I handle the day-to-day of everything. So anything from finances to marketing, I do all the social media. I work very closely with Matt because he is our programming chair as well to set up speakers, find sponsors. I handle the details of every event. Where will we have the event? What is the food going to look like? What is the event organization going to look like? Will we have Q&A? all of those types of things. I continuously reach out to sponsors and potential members to see who can partner with us on events. And then I'm also the liaison with the CFA Institute. So anything the Institute needs, whether it's reports, I attend meetings, I have great relationships with people that work at the Institute. So I know who to call and who to email when we're looking for information. And then I also run a monthly meeting with all the Midwest societies It's an admin, executive director, plus whatever board members want to join, meeting to discuss shared resources, ideas, anything. We do that the first Monday of every month. And that's been really great for all the Midwest societies to work together. And then, of course, I am supported by the most wonderful working board who works really hard to make this happen. I've been here 10 years, and I have uh, really enjoyed getting to know all the board members and working with them side by side. It's not just programming. We reach out to candidates. We reach out to students. On and on and on. So it's really it's been a great experience working with the board too. And maybe kind of same question over to you, John. I mean, I think people if they look at the website and see the board chairs, you know, something like programming, pretty self-explanatory as to kind of what each board member is in charge of. But maybe as as president, 
What are your main responsibilities? Is it oversight? Is it strategic direction? How do you think about the president's role and kind of what you have your hand in and what do you do for the time you volunteer? Yeah, thanks, Matt. We're really fortunate A to have Cindy, who's fantastic, and we'd really struggle to get a lot of what we want to get done done. But I think we've got a great board where everybody's chipping in. And I see what you're doing with the podcast and what you're doing with programming. Frankly, it just reminds me what a horrible programming chair I was in comparison. That's not true. (laughs) No, I think it's kind of true. But the nice thing with the board where it's at now is we can really think strategically about how do we grow two things, I think. First is always member engagement. The first priority is always making sure our members feel like they're getting value out of the membership. And as you you both know, and, and hopefully most of our members know, we did a survey last year and the results were uh, clear as mud. As you might guess, everybody has different priorities. Everybody has different interests. And so as we think about the different types of members we have and what they're hoping to get out of the society, we've got asset allocators, we've got asset managers, we've got advisors, we've got people that are late stage career, mid-stage career, early stage career that all want different things. And so what we're trying to do from a programming standpoint and from a, an engagement standpoint is really bring all that together, where it's certain types of program, whether it's certain types of networking, whether it's certain types of, of mentorship, You know, the one thing that I've kind of made a focus on this year is more from a community outreach standpoint. So I I put this in the letter, but there's a great opportunity to start to get engaged with future CFA charter holders. So Craig Cimarroni, I thought it was the best story I heard all last year where he started at his daughter's school an investment club for girls. And I've got a couple young daughters. So the idea that they can get more involved and have that kind of support and mentorship. And then the society has been able to, at times, invite them to events and try to get involved. So that community outreach at a younger age, I think is also something that's important, but also our community outreach to the professional community, to the business community. A lot of people don't know what the CFA society is. A lot of people don't know what a CFA charter holder is. A lot of people, if you ask them, what do you think? Because I've had this conversation. What do you think about financial services? They either don't think very highly of us or don't appreciate all the expertise that goes into being really good at this. And I always like to say that the CFA Society, the CFA Institute will say we stand for the highest in ethics and the highest in professional excellence. So what does that mean? It means we do the right thing and we know what the right thing to do is. And so helping us spread that message more to the business community to help our members as they're looking at job opportunities, helping to spread that message more to the professional community. So as they have clients that need advice, that they turn to people like CFA charter holders, that's one of the things that I think it's a little bit of evangelizing. It's a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of on the ground work. But I think that's something that'll enhance membership value, but also continue to help set up our society for success down the road. 
Yeah, completely agree. And thanks for that overview. You know, John, maybe talk a little about just kind of your career. I don't want to say outside of the CFA society because it's a part of it, but just give us a little about about your background, where you grew up, kind of your connections in Northeast Ohio, kind of where your career has taken you before that you got the charter. And then since you got the charter, also maybe touch on and kind of how you started to get involved in the CFA Society of Cleveland. Yeah, absolutely. So grew up in a small town, Huron, Ohio, for anybody that knows. It's a great town because I grew up about a mile away from my wife as the crow flies. She grew up on the lake. I grew up in the middle of a cornfield, started working at a young age at Hans Farm. Best sweet corn that you'd ever have, undisputably. And I still always say, as you're looking at candidates as you're hiring, if somebody says they worked on a farm, they were an Eagle Scout, they were a D3 athlete like yourself, or they're a CFA charter holder, you know you've got somebody good there. So I grew up in a small town, and the story I always think about, and it kind of ties in both career and community-wise, is in the CFA role, is grew up in a small town, and my grandparents owned some apartments. And we would go, I'd go with my grandma. She's in her early 80s. By this point, she's about four foot 10, curly hair, and we'd hop in the back of her station wagon and go mulch at apartments. And one time I made the observation that, Grandma, we just bought... 200 bags of mulch. And if we would have gone to Lowe's down the street instead of this little community nursery, we would have saved $400. You know, why didn't we do that? And she, little old lady, kind of feisty, grabs me by the collar and is like, we're here to support our community because they've supported us. And so when I was asked to join the board, it was easy because the CFA community has done so much for me. The designation's done so much for me. And it's a real honor to be able to serve as as president. So where that gets into my career path, it was actually at a similar, it was a family function around the same time. And I had older cousins. This is mid-90s. They're talking about the stock market and they're talking about Reebok and they're talking about the Boston Celtics, which used to be publicly traded, all the fun stuff you'd think teens and 20-some-year-olds would be talking about. But Intel was one of the companies that they talked about. So I went back to school and this is before it was online. You'd graph how companies were doing. So I started graphing this chart every day and started figuring out some trends, got some money into it. And the rest is history. It's what I've wanted to do ever since then. So not long after graduated from Miami University and was in an analyst role, Realized I loved the analysis side of it, but I also wanted to do something that had more of a personal involvement. Moved out to Chicago with Van Camp and Investments. For anybody that's worked on an internal wholesaling desk, I did that for the better part of two years. Still probably the most fun I've had in my career. 2008 came along, was able to move up in the organization as there were some different reorganizations. And by that point, I'd passed level one, but spent most of the next number of years on the road, a lot of travel to the West Coast, presenting at conferences, traveling with our salespeople, not a role entirely dissimilar from yours now, Matt, as kind of a client portfolio manager. And then I had taken the GMAT years before, decided my score was going to run out. So I went to business school part-time while I was still traveling. And then after business school, after business school, my wife, who had since moved out to uh, Chicago. We were looking at different options, came back to Cleveland and spent a number of years working in the institutional space. And now I work Bernstein 
in the private client group there. Maybe Cindy, same question over to you. What has your personal, professional kind of career path looked like? And maybe you could just kind of give us an overview for, for people who maybe don't know you as well as, as us on the board do. I grew up outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and went to University of Delaware, got a business and technical writing degree. So I'm on the marketing side of things, not the financial side of things. My favorite story is when I interviewed and Craig Cimarroni hired me 10 years ago, when I interviewed for the job, I can remember him saying, I see you're a business and technical writing major. And I've been out of school many, many, many years. We won't say how long. And I was so excited that Yes, you know, you never know if that degree you got is going to help you. So I was very excited. So moved to Cleveland about 22 years ago, raised four kids in Shaker Heights. We're still in Shaker Heights. My kids are all grown now. I stayed home with the kids until my youngest went to kindergarten. And then I slowly started going back to work. I volunteered and was on, ran a million things while I was a stay at home mom, like many people do as you try to figure out how to juggle raising kids and having a job. So then I went back to work part time. And eventually I was looking for more of a, a new job that was a little more flexible. And Michael Santelli, who's a former board member, CFA charter holder, and a, a good friend also, let me know about the job through another friend. And so I eventually was hired part-time about 10 years ago. Like I said, by Craig Cimarroni, he was a board president at the time. And after a couple of years, I transitioned to full-time the board recognized they really wanted to kind of have, let's say, the face of CFA Society of Cleveland. So after I think it was about two years, I transitioned into the executive director role and have been doing it full time since. What's the most fun part of your job, Sydney? You guys know me really well. We've been working together for many years. I'm such a people person. I love meeting people. I love talking to people. I love making connections with people. For instance, we had a one of our first Thursday happy hours last night. We had a student from Cleveland State walk in and just so excited to talk to him and have him meet other people there. He's graduating in December, looking for a job. It just is such a great opportunity. Let people meet each other in Cleveland and try and get kids to stay here. Try and get people who are working here to stay in Cleveland. I'm a huge Cleveland fan after being here for 22 years. It's very similar to Baltimore. We just love it here. So I'd say that is the best part of my job is just because I I love people and really enjoyed all the people I've met over the last 10 years. You know, one of the aspects of quite frankly both your jobs or your positions is you interact with the institute probably the most of any board members and you all both just got back from Seattle. There's a society leadership conference for anyone who doesn't know happens maybe it's once a year I think and it just happened. So John, maybe this question over to you. What was your biggest takeaway from that society leadership conference? What's the chatter at the Institute? What were they emphasizing? And what do other societies talk about? What were some of your big takeaways from that that conference? Yeah, I think there were a few. I mean, the first was there's nothing major that we're not doing. So what was great about this is you've got people from 62 different societies from Canada, the U.S., and then South America there. And they built into the schedule quite a bit of time just for networking, getting to know people. And there wasn't any, oh, hey, we never have thought about this. We, we've never thought about doing a research challenge. But there was a lot of ideas on just how to execute things better. So as an example, CFA Buffalo has built their research challenge into an event where they get a lot of corporate sponsorship. They bring a lot of employers in. 
they do other kind of interesting things to make it more of a bigger event. CFA Indianapolis has done quite a bit around building that outward professional community and doing different things in advocacy. So there's a lot of ways we can enhance what we're already doing. And I think the biggest impact for me was just a way to tie into those other societies. So in the Midwest region, we have 12 societies. I think that's right, Cindy. And 11 are more or less our size, Cincinnati, Columbus, Indianapolis, groups like that. And then we have Chicago as well. So what can we all share amongst ourselves, amongst this 11, but then also what can we leverage that Chicago, because of all the additional resources they have that we're able to build off of. If you said what was the biggest thing the Institute was talking about, I think it's how to tie into this upcoming generation of future candidates. There was a lot of talk about TikTok, and I think we're going to have to have Cindy get a TikTok channel going for herself. No, but it was a lot of those kind of things that, frankly, aren't really in my sweet spot. TikTok's not in my sweet spot. Then I'll have to find someone to help me with that. You know, I don't know how we, if we really want to engage that way in social media, or if we try to do more and just, we built this kind of university ambassadors program to tie into college students more directly. But there are a lot of societies that are doing interesting things, you know, on a social media side of things. I'd say the other thing that was interesting And we've done this somewhat in fits and starts. I think what we've got scheduled on the 10th here with the smaller groups, more impactful, more specific to what somebody wants to hear, as opposed to trying to get 50 people in a room. But how do we get eight people in a room that all care about this one topic together? That came up quite a bit. I don't know, Cindy, if you have anything you'd want to add to that. No, I agree. It's always a great event. I've gone for a lot of years. I've got a lot of great contacts from all over the U.S., Canada, and South America. So it's, it's great seeing those people and being able to reach out with an email or a call to say, hey, how are you guys handling something? And So yeah, I always come back with a lot of great ideas. And I did enjoy all the networking this time too. So some years there's a lot enough time for networking. Like you said, one of the most interesting things I thought I sat through was the the social media because it's a it's a gray area for all of us. I'm old. I'm 55. I mean, I think I do a pretty good job with their social media, but it's it's an uncomfortable space to be in. And they had their consultant come and give a um, from one of the big consulting firms. He specializes in media. Talk about it, and it was fascinating. So the trends and statistics and all of that. And it's great to come back and with some fresh ideas to reach out to not only charter holders, but candidates, students in our local financial community. And it does help to reach out to them. We found after we started our young professionals committee, that was their first thing was you got to get on Instagram. That's that's where the young professionals are. So we did. And it was easy and it's easy to do Instagram. That's not hard to do for me. Yeah, John, maybe this question to you. The next 12 to 18 months, I think it, I'm fairly safe to say that we're we're out of the pandemic period for all intents and purposes, and, and, and maybe just for some people emerging from a mindset perspective. The next 12 to 18 months, what's CFA Cleveland's biggest challenges that you see that we have to try to overcome? I think the biggest challenge is that there's so much information out there that it's so easy to log on to this blog or this website or listen to this talking head here, that we've really got to stand out in terms of our 
programming and be able to meet our members where they are. To the point I made earlier, our members aren't all looking for the exact same thing out of the society. So how do we have a slate of programming that's really diverse and speaks to all our members and allows them to get engaged in a meaningful way for each and every person? So I think that's going to be the biggest thing for us to keep focusing on is how do we make sure membership value is there? And we've got almost 500 members and we want all of our members to be doing something with the society, whether that's getting involved in a committee or whether it's going to lunches or whether it's volunteering to be a mentor. But how do we make sure that the society speaks to everyone? I think we were pleasantly surprised at the first luncheon coming out of COVID. We'd seen declining lunch attendance. And Cindy can correct me if I'm wrong, but 45 people were there at the Union Club. It's a different venue. We're including uh, parking to try to make it easier. We're a little bit out of the heart of downtown, again, to try to make it easier. So that to me is the biggest thing. And it is really should always be our priority is how do we drive the most membership value. And Cindy, I feel like the question that pops in people's minds that they don't ask frequently, and I've had a little bit of a window being programming chair at this, but we have these events, now the Union Club. We have these happy hours, whatnot, but we'll just take a lunch event, for example. Walk us through everything it takes to put on that event, because I think, generally speaking, people underestimate the work that you put in with that. And when people say, oh, you have a full, full-time staff person, we kind of say, yeah, I don't know how we'd operate without her. Maybe just walk us through from start to finish, everything that goes into planning and executing just a typical lunch event like we had in September. Sounds great. As we talked about, we have a new home, the Union Club. We're very excited about it, but not every event is at the Union Club. So sometimes I have to source a different place to have it. We we certainly have to look at cost, location. Let's just assume where we had that event in September at the Union Club. I met with the Union Club. We get the date set up, time set up. We go through the menus. We've got to do AV. Because it was a new location, there were a lot of unknowns to go through. So once we establish that we're going to be there, Matt and I work on getting the speakers. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's Matt. It just kind of depends as we work together on most things. And we also work on trying to get the sponsorship for those lunches. Um, So once that is done, I move into kind of the marketing side of it. And I have to get all the information from our speakers. Sometimes it's multiple, a panel, bios, headshots, all of those types of things, and put together the marketing, put together the tile that we use on social media, everything we'll use in email and the invites that we send out. And then I start doing that marketing. I spend probably two hours a day working on social media and getting events out there, which sounds like a lot, but it takes a you know a while to get all of that going and get it posted to the right place. And as Matt knows, to get people tagged. And <laughs> I'm really working on getting better at that. And, and we have seen a lot of engagement on LinkedIn now that we're doing more of that, which has been really great in getting more and more people to the events. I also handle all the financial side of it. So maybe we have to bill someone for their sponsorship, handle going through the bill with the union club or whoever we may be dealing with. And as we put all that together, like John just mentioned, our goal is to get back to our pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, around 40 to 50 for lunches, which we did for our first lunch in September. 
We Our next big lunch, well, like we talked about, we've got the small round tables coming up next week. The next big lunch will be at the Union Club on the 18th of October. That's with our CIO round table. And we think we should be well over 50 for that one. So we're really excited. But it takes all of that work to get it out to people, to get on their radar. Like John just mentioned, you can get information anywhere now. So we have to stand out somehow that you're going to get out of your office and come have lunch with us. You're going to get in your car maybe and drive downtown Maybe you're working from home that day. So we do have to do a lot to to kind of get on everybody's radar. It is a ton of work and different societies handled different ways. I can tell you that uh, Cindy and I are having a conversation this week of a couple of societies that outsource some of those functions. And I can tell you the value we get for the things that Cindy does on multiple levels is just fantastic, I think, relative to some of our peers. So keep up the good work there, Cindy. Thanks, Matt. You know, I love it. Okay, now maybe to the the funnest part of the podcast, the lightning round, rapid fire kind of questions. Not sure if you guys have listened to this little segment of the podcast before, but I won't have any new questions, but I definitely want to run through them with you guys. Does that sound good? Yep. Sounds good. All right. A nickname for either of you. The Dominator. The Dominator. That's a good one. Oh, that's so good. I do not have a nickname. I know that's boring, but I just... My kids call me Mama Bear, but that's because I sometimes maybe make sure nobody's picking on my kids. Uh, so that's about it, though. <laughs> I feel that way about everything. They've sat through enough board meetings with me that they know I go into Mama Bear roles sometimes, too. So, yeah, that will probably be the closest. A favorite hobby? I'm boring. You know, I just love traveling. That would be my my favorite hobby. So I've got three young kids, so there's not an incredible amount of time for hobbies. I don't like golf. I was talking to a buddy today who said he's going to play 36 holes, and I said, that sounds like the worst day ever. But I do love gardening, and it comes back from working on the farm. And if I wasn't doing this, I'd be a gentleman farmer. You're right. That is the one thing I spend my time doing is gardening. My back, my little backyard in Shaker Heights just brings me so much pleasure. So no, that made me think of that. Thanks, Jeff. I have crops too, Cindy. This isn't just a flower farm. We've got crops and everything. This is that is impressive. I'm just flowers, flowers and bushes, but I love it. Given that you have a garden, John, do you have a favorite recipe to cook? And Cindy, same question to you. No, I, I've got a smoker, and so my wife really likes this salmon that I make, where you do a a wet rub that's brown sugar and salt for an hour and then put brown sugar and Dijon mustard on there and put it in the smoker. I don't particularly care for it, but she loves it. And it's fun to get the smoker going. That sounds delicious. As you guys know, we just did our kitchen and it just got finished yesterday. So I have not cooked in a long time. And I do think I'm going to make a vodka pasta sauce that everybody loves around here. So I think that is what I'm going to do Saturday. Let it simmer all day and have a home cooked meal finally. So so I, I think that would be it. My next question is, you know, profession you'd be in if you weren't doing what you're doing now. John, I don't know if you answered that just now with gentleman farmer, but you could keep that answer or you can sub in a different one. But also Cindy's question to you, what would you be doing right now if, if you were not the executive director of the CFA Society? I don't know. I love what I do. And I feel so lucky that, you know, I stayed home with my kids for a lot of years and but was so excited to get back into the workplace. And so I actually, this is it until I retire, I think, but I wouldn't change it at this point. I have flexibility. I work with great people and I feel like I get to use my brain every day. So who could ask for more? Gentleman farmer doesn't really pay the bills. So I'd be a history teacher and a gentleman farmer on the side. Bucket list travel destination, both of you. 
I'd like to go on an African safari. Darn it, John. I was going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I knew I had to go quick there, Cindy. Yes. I would love to go on an African safari. I've done a lot of travel. We're actually, my daughter's living in Germany, so we're going there in December. So I'm very lucky that I've done a lot of travel, but the African safari is definitely on the bucket list. Uh, Any hidden talents for the both of you? None that I'm aware of. Nope. Yeah, we're, we're, we're part of the CFA society. We're boring. <laughs> we're the nerdiest of the finance nerds. Yeah, right. <laughs> Favorite lunch spot in Cleveland? Okay, mine is Stone Oven, which is in Eaton. I live on the east side in Shaker Heights, so that's in Woodmere. Just picked it up the other day when I ran an errand. My husband loves the chicken salad, and there's a salad that's called the John salad that I just love. So if we're picking up, I run over there and get it. I'll say Van Aken. I just love there's so many good options right there. You can't tie me down to one, but to know there's five or six different options, it'll all be good. We love Van Aken. We, we're about two miles from there, so we'll walk over there Saturday morning, and we do love Van Aken. It's been a huge bonus to Shaker Heights. How about that, John? A West Side guy having an East Side place is his favorite. You're going to cause controversy. We're just like the society, we're trying to bring people together. Last one, favorite Cleveland sports moment. Well, most people say when the Cavs won, but I'd like to remind everybody the day of the Cavs parade, we had a conference at the Renaissance with 300 people registered to come and 30 companies and nobody could get there basically, except for our big speaker. We had 20 people in the room. So I love the Cavs and that was so exciting, but the parade was not an ideal day for CFA Society Cleveland. I I must admit. So, but it was very memorable. That's a good one. <laughs> right. I'm going to go in a different direction here, Matt. So I grew up in Huron and, and grew up a fan of the Detroit Tigers. And it's not a Tiger story, but so November 27, 2021. So Saturday after Thanksgiving, the first snow of the year in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Ryan Day came in there with, and he's made it clear they've got a really tough football team. He told Lou Holtz, he made sure Lou Holtz knew this is a really tough team. And they came into Ann Arbor, and I don't know that Michigan actually had to throw a pass in the second half. I think they just pretty much ran the ball every play just right down the field. And so that's my favorite sports memory over the last while here. Maybe my least favorite sports memory. (laughs) John, I think you just made about half our audience unsubscribe from the podcast. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks a lot, John. I had no idea you were a a Wolverine fan. Oh yeah. Season ticket holder. Oh, no way. How about that? Maybe that's my hidden talent. I was able to hide that for this long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good stuff. Well, thank you both for coming on the podcast. This was really fun and hopefully the members get to know you all a little bit better and can come up to you at, at an event and feel like they know you and start a conversation and so yeah thanks for coming on the podcast thanks matt thanks matt you've been listening to guardians of finance brought to you by the cfa society of cleveland subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and head on over to guardiansoffinance.com where you can connect or reconnect with the cfa society of cleveland attend an educational or social event, and find volunteer opportunities. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Guardians of Finance.